Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's reading is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and there is any worthy, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all these things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment for silent reflection.
Did it go? There we go. Friends who are online, thank you. That must have been like a Charlie Chaplin silent movie right there. Here what we experienced was the best prayer that was ever prayed. So sorry you didn't get to hear it, but I'll try to make it really good at the end of the sermon also. That's one of the, uh, one of the beauties and the difficulties of being a church that meets both in person and online. It's, it makes everything four times as challenging, but hopefully it's ten times more rewarding. So as we uh, enter into the third week of Advent, and this week we focus on joy. We focused already on hope, on peace, and now it's joy. It reminds me of this great story of a business executive that went on vacation on this tropical island and he went to this small fishing village, pristine little fishing village. The fishermen went out every day and toiled together with the nets and the waves and the sea and they were in the sunshine. And they got enough fish to feed their family and then they sold whatever was left over for clothing and shelter and needs like that. And this business executive seeing a great opportunity for expansion and maximization said to them, you know, you have a lot of potential here. The problem is your nets aren't big enough, the boats aren't big enough, here's what we could do. Out of my personal finances, I'll give you a loan, and we'll buy bigger boats, we'll buy bigger nets, you'll catch so many fish, pretty soon you'll need a cannery processing plant right there on the shore. And you'll be processing so many fish, you'll need a bigger ship to come in and take your cans out to distribute worldwide, and so we'll put a big pier in and a warehouse right there. And we'll do this for about 30 years, and we'll make tons of money, and when you're done, you can retire. To which the fisherman said, what's retirement? And he responded, well, you basically come to a tropical island and go to a fishing village and fish all day with your buddies. <laughs> he wanted joy. His response was more. This is a picture of how we pursue these virtues that we're studying during Advent. We all agree that we want hope. We all ad agree that we want peace. Today, we all agree that we want joy. The problem is we don't know how to get it. Maybe your answer is not more. Maybe your answer is by being right. If you could just be right all the time, and if those bozos over there would listen to you, then finally the world would be at peace and you can have joy. Or if you could just be needed, if you can just be helpful, you need to be needed, and it's in that realm that you experience joy. And so the worst thing that could ever happen is a day where people don't need your help. Or you need to achieve and stack up victories you want the scoreboard to show that you are winning, and so when the world doesn't notice, or when it's not actually happening, you devolve into deceit, deceiving others, deceiving yourself. You see how this goes? You have a need to be unique, to be creative, and so as soon as you feel like you aren't, you feel like you're a non-existent person. Or the need to manage the world with more data, more information, if you can just control the world with the data, then you'll be okay, and you're realizing it's uncontrollable. It goes on, the need to protect yourself, to have security. But then when you realize the world's a dangerous place, and so either you need to face the world with courage, or you need to become a recluse to protect yourself. Either way, peace is so fleeting. Joy is so fleeting. Or like me, Enneagram 7, you need more, more, more. What, how much do you want? I don't know. How much do you got? Hurry up, I'm late for the next party, I've got to leave this one to go to the next. It's always more, but it's also never enough. We do this in all sorts of ways. The need to control. Or the need to make peace at all costs, even if it's losing yourself. The quest for joy. 
So we continue in Advent, this picture of waiting in darkness for the light to come, this longing, this hope, this anticipation. And we study joy today. Joy is differentiated from happiness. Both are wonderful ingredients in life. Joy is durable. Happiness is dependent upon your circumstances. So when the, you know, when the sermon's better, you're happy. When it's not, you're not happy. Joy, you can be joyful either way. When life's going your way, you can be happy. When it's not, you're not. But you can have joy either way. Happiness is the flash in the pan when the oil catches on fire, creating heat and light for a moment. But joy is that deep burning oak log that puts off beautiful light and heat for days. It's durable. The question is, where do you find joy? How content are you right now? Further, is it possible to go through this life, the life that you are living right now, where you cannot turn on your news feed on your phone without seeing bad news? Where you cannot look around the Christmas dinner table without seeing stories of joy and sorrow? in a nation that is politically divided and seems to be about to explode? Or just the difficulty of getting through the holiday season? Is it possible to go through the ups and downs of this life with durable, resilient joy? And this morning in our reading, the Apostle Paul, who is one of the most influential church leaders ever, early church planter, is writing to this church, this diverse urban church in Philippi, letter to the Philippians. He's writing from a Roman prison, okay? So he's not at Disneyland and stopped at the gift shop and got a postcard and is saying, hey everybody, it's, life's great, you should be joyful like I am. He's chained to a Roman centurion in a dark prison, not sure how his days are going to end, and he's saying, rejoice, I will say again, rejoice. There's a deep, resilient joy. How do you access that kind of joy? And he would point us to the problem of joy, the person of joy, and the practice of joy. First, the problem of joy. We have already touched on this. It's fleeting. There's never enough. Or even if you get enough, it runs out. Or we approach it in all sorts of superficial ways. First, it's fleeting. There's never enough. Two and a half weeks ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving, and many of us sat around some form of a table with some form of, form of food, and the message was, I have all I need. I'm grateful thankful. And the next day, many of us get up super early to go out and buy more stuff because it's not enough. And then Cyber Monday rolls around and we buy more online because it's not enough and we don't want to leave our house to get more. It's never enough. How do I know this? Because I do the same thing. And Paul, what he's saying here is astonishing. You can have contentment in plenty and in need, in sickness and in health, when you're experiencing the beautiful sunshine and the fresh air, and when you're in a dark, damp prison, your circumstances don't determine your joy. Now, we need to read this with wisdom and a little bit of common sense. Of course, when Paul is being tortured, or if you are facing abuse, or if you don't have the funds to buy food or pay for clothes for your children, this is not saying pretend like everything's just okay and put on a happy face. Christians are invited actually to pay more attention to real life, not less. But it's also saying there's a resiliency and a hope that can meet you even in that moment. 
More on that later. But on the other hand, when you do achieve all of your goals, when you get all that you asked for, so much of the time still, it's not enough. Plenty doesn't bring joy. Oftentimes, having plenty exposes our lack of it. Mark Twain wrote, you don't know just what it is you really want, but it fairly, fairly makes your heart ache you want it so. You don't even know exactly what it is that you want, but it makes your heart ache that you want it so. And so we go to great lengths to get it without even stopping to contemplate what it really is. The second problem is nothing lasts. Because even when we find that sort of contentment, nothing, it's all fleeting. Getting the things we want in life is both exhilarating and dangerous because it arouses in us desires that it can't fulfill. You know, with three kids, age 13, 11, and 8, we have been through series and seasons of the next video game console. How long is that PS3 going to be awesome until the PS4 eclipses it? PS4, now it's the PS5, and on and on it goes. We do the same thing, pursuing better technology. How many cameras do you need on the back of your iPhone before it's enough cameras? I remember seeing a photo on Instagram a little while ago of this is the car and the phone of a millionaire in the late 90s. And it was a BMW, brand new BMW, and the brand new latest cell phone. You know what it looks like now, 21 years later? An old car and an ancient phone. It's fleeting. We pursue it again and again. But even on a deeper level, beauty, beauty on the deepest levels, the most beautiful song you've ever heard, ends at some point. You go down to the band shell on the harbor, that is a beautiful experience. You can hear some of the best musicians in the world playing some of the most beautiful music in one of the most iconic settings on earth. But sooner or later, the concert ends, and you're in the cold fighting traffic. The most gorgeous, dazzling sunset, with oranges giving way to pinks, giving way to purples, a kaleidoscope of color in the sky, eventually fades to the night sky. Your health, in, in all of your radiant, glorious beauty, diminishes with time. It's just a picture that wherever you look, it's fleeting. It's like sand falling through our fingers. Wallace Stevens wrote, even in contentment, even in contentment, I feel the need for some imperishable bliss. We, because we intuitively understand this. Even when we're experiencing joy, we know that it's going to run out. Because it's never lasting, never lasting. And so what do we do? Many of us deal with it superficially. We stuff with more things into our lives. We keep stuffing and feeding and spending and numbing and drinking and chasing. And it becomes like thirsty people trying to quench that thirst with salt water. And it works for about five minutes until you're more thirsty. The answer is always more. And this is not merely a consumeristic culture like we have, which I think it's accentuated. This is the story of humanity. More money, more power, more sex, more of anything. But the problem is it's fleeting. 
And so the materialist says the answer is to get more, right? That's where you get FOMO, fear of missing out. But the, the minimalist says the answer is to get less. That's where you get JOMO, the joy of missing out. I am so glad I don't have to deal with all of that. The materialist says get more. The minimalist says get less. And the Apostle Paul says, get Jesus. You do not need a superficial solution. You need a supernatural intervention. I think it's intriguing that Jesus' first recorded miracle was not healing someone or raising them from the dead. His first miracle was at a wedding party, turning water into wine. And in that culture, the wine not only represented hospitality, but the joy of the party. It's part of the Hebrew scriptures that says, wine to gladden the hearts of people. And so this young couple, on their wedding day, run out of the joy. They run out of wine. And the first thing Jesus does is provide plenty of joy for the party. In a world where joy is superficial and fleeting, he says, I make it. I am the originator of it. Come to me. Which brings us to the person of joy. Because the source of joy in our lives is not a place, it's not a product, it's a person. Paul writes, from prison, rejoice, not just abstractly, not just because it's the right thing to do, not just because happy, smiley people tend to make more friends. Rejoice in the Lord. He says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord. Scripture often refers to Jesus, among other titles, as King or Lord. And here's the thing. Everybody in this room and joining in online has a Lord. I mean, you obviously probably wouldn't use that language for it. But whatever you rejoice in, whatever you place at the center of your life that tells you you can have great joy, that is your true king, your prime affection and loyalty. That's your Lord. What's at the center of your life? What's king in your life? In what do you rejoice? And here's the thing. What you rejoice in has a tendency to drive all sorts of behaviors and direction in your life. All sorts of great things that could be your king aren't great enough to last and bring you joy no matter what circumstance. Your career is a great gift for you, an opportunity for you to provide for yourself and for others, to do something meaningful in this world, but your career will never give its life for you. In fact, your career will demand that you give your life for it. As I mentioned earlier, the best car in the world right now will be outdated. Kids who grew up in the 80s, did you know you can buy a Ferrari Testarossa on Craigslist for about $25,000 now? Yeah, someone right now is taking out their phone and trying to buy one. It's fleeting. You're close, here's, here's the tough news, but you already know this. I'm just going to say what everybody already knows. Your closest relationships at some point in life will let you down. 
Because we're beautiful and broken. That person that you're with, your best friend, your spouse, your partner, they're beautiful and broken just like you. Just like you let yourself down, you'll let them down. They'll do the same. You know this. And so relationships are treasures, but they make terrible saviors. As we mentioned, your health will diminish with age. And so we work and we climb and we claw and we strive and we purchase great products to try to beat back the relentless tick of the clock. What drives you? And Paul says, look to Jesus, the true king of your life, who you were created for, and notice that all of these other loves, all these other affections, all these other kings with a lowercase k are actually pointing to the one who can fulfill them. In all of your other loves, you're actually looking for God's love. In all of your achievement and striving, you're actually looking for God's security and affirmation. In all the acclaim, you're looking for God's approval. And here's the irony. Christmas says, you don't have to achieve it, it's already coming toward you at light speed. In fact, it's already here. Because love and joy and connection and hope are not virtues that you can manufacture, and you can't buy them. They come from the source of life itself, and he rains them down as the waters cover the sea. The biggest obstacle to you and me living that kind of life is actually trusting that that's real and true and receiving it. That's why all the great Christmas songs are not, we need to make God come to earth. It's all about receiving him. Let us receive the grace of God that's coming into this world. Advent anticipation of Christmas is, is preparing ourselves to receive this kind of light that comes not abstractly. The joy of Christmas is not merely a holiday card that says, you know, by the goodness of all the good vibes in the universe, one day it'll all get better by and by. The miracle of Christmas is that the creator of the world sees the pain and mess of this world and enters into it on a particular time and a particular date. God enters into human history in a concrete way. Which means that God is not merely with you abstractly like a good feeling on a bad day. But God is with you personally, walking with you. A person of joy. Ultimately, you're built for this one and true king who lived for you, who died for you, who rose from the dead for you. Christ is the only king who voluntarily gave up his joy and delight of the Father so that you and me could have joy and delight in the Father. So the question is, do you really think he will fail to fill you with joy as you trust him? Do you really think he will fail to fill you with joy as you trust him? And the answer is yes, we do. We doubt this all the time. We get spiritual amnesia and forget the ways that God has brought joy into our lives in the past, walked with us through difficult times in the past. And this is why we come together in worship every week, to recenter ourselves on the true foundation of the world, to remind one another of God's grace in our lives, of who we are in Christ the King. And the great paradox is, 
He's the only one that when you give your life to him, you don't lose yourself, but rather you find out who you were created to become. And when you forget and fail him and wander, he forgives you. There is no other promise of joy in this universe that does that for you. Because you were built for it and only he can provide it. Paul continues in verse 12, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. Joy in any circumstance. And then he goes on to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things. Watch the ads during this holiday season and note how the marketing geniuses fulfill that sentence. I can do all things. You can do all things driving that car whipping around those pristine mountain pathways, all will be right between you and the world. You can do all things driving that car, and then the car breaks down. You say, this was all, what's going on here? You can do all things in those clothes or wearing that makeup. You can do all things if you just go on that vacation. You can do all things if you just have that beverage in your bar fridge. My favorite is, you can do all things if you just have those paper towels with the perfect amount of absorbency. You will clean up every mess. Your kids will behave. Pet stains will be a thing of the past. You can do all things. Now, look, I am all for driving a nice car, looking your best out of respect for other people, having nice clothes, ladies having good makeup. That's all fine. I'm, I'm all for having great absorbent paper towels but they will be a paltry source of joy in your life. Now, I say this as an exaggerated caricature, but we fall for it all the time. And so scripture comes through and shines a bright light on the reality of our lives and says, what is your source of joy and how is it working for you? And it turns you toward a person, joy in the flesh. This is why another phrase for Christmas would be that lovely song we sang, joy to the world. Now, how do you do this? Someone says, look, Matt, I believe all these things. Or at least I'm trying to. How do you access this kind of joy? How does Paul say rejoice? Again, I say rejoice when he's writing from prison. Was he zapped by something? Was he brainwashed? What happened here? And Paul gives you a clue when he says in verse 11, I have learned to be content in all situations. I have learned it. It's a process. Life becomes your classroom. And that verb in Greek for learned, manthano, it's not a picture of a one-time gathering of data, of more information. It's a picture of the process by which student disciples would learn from their rabbi by walking with him daily. And so how do you do this? You cultivate this intentionally. How do you do it first? You think. You think through the lens of the kingdom of God. One translation of verse 4 through 8 is, finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things, and the peace of God will dwell in you. 
You become intentional about the way you think. These cognition words occur 55 times in this short letter. Words like think, remember, know. Do not let your life devolve into an Instagram feed where an algorithm determines the kind of data that you're presented, influencing everything about your being. Instead, focus intentionally on where your mind goes. It talks about the daily renewing of your mind. So what do your thoughts focus on? What's your current plan for developing the way you think? Friends who are investigating the Christian faith, I know you have plenty of questions. So do I. Big secret. We all do. Great. What are you doing about those questions? Do you have the same questions that you had five years ago and ten years ago? Or are you intentionally working through them? One way to move forward would be to write down your biggest questions right now. And get a hold of me if you like. Get a hold of a friend who comes to this church. And say, these are the things I'm wrestling with. And start moving forward intentionally. Christian friends, is your view of God the same size that it was five years ago or ten years ago? What is your pathway for growth? This is why the church offers things like prayer gathering on Wednesdays and community group that meets up, which will start back up in January. We don't just do them for busy work. We do them because as a group, we grow when we learn together and sharpen one another. This is a great time to start thinking through 2022 and the sort of person you want to become and what steps it will take to get there. Think through the lens of the kingdom. We see this in Philippians 1 where Paul is writing from prison as he's writing the entire letter from prison. And he, said, he reflects on his imprisonment. And he says, it's not good. It's not comfortable. But God is even using this to bring about the life and light and renewal of Jesus in this prison. Stephen Fowell writes, Paul doesn't detach himself from his circumstances, but rather he's learned to narrate them as part of God's economy of salvation. He is a passionate participant in a divinely ordered drama. To be able to think through the lens of the gospel, but also then to pray through the lens of the gospel. As he says in verses 6 through 7, do not worry about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplications, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Listen, you can only pray during an anxious time with thanksgiving. Pray during an anxious time with thanksgiving. You can only do it when you see your circumstances, maybe not as desirable, Perhaps not as understandable, but never outside of the scope of God's redeeming love and grace in your life. You begin to pray prayers like, God, I don't understand this, and I don't like this, but I trust that you are at work in my life, even in this. A Christian prays through the lens of the cross. Imagining the disciples at the foot of Jesus' cross as he's being executed, and you know the disciples are praying, what good can come of this? And what they didn't know was that in God's wisdom and grace, God was redeeming the whole world. And so a Christian is someone who can pray, what good can come of this? I wanted this job. I wanted this spouse. 
I wanted life to go this particular way with kids. I wanted relief from my pain. And so I grieve it, I mourn it, I lament it, and I hold on to the reality that even so he loves me, he'll never leave me or forsake me. Praying through the lens of the kingdom means you have to slow down. That is a natural speed for 0% of us. I have a friend who's a conductor of symphonies, and she conducts professional orchestras, and she also donates her time to conduct uh, orchestras of high schools. She says the difference between the high school students and the professionals is that if one of the high school students makes a mistake, everyone gets nervous and intuitively begins to play faster and faster, and it makes it worse. But the professionals, if somebody misses their cue, they all instinctively slow down until they can get back on the same page together and they move forward in harmony. This Advent season, prayer of slowing down means to harmonize yourself with the true tune of the world. The harmony of God's love and care and concern and presence with you until God's grace washes over you. That's why we release the Advent devotional reflection guide every morning. So that if you say, hey, Matt, that sounds good. I just don't know how to do it. Open up your Instagram feed and follow Renew Church. You have it in your pocket. I love it when people say, Pastor, teach me how to pray. I say, join us on Sunday morning. We pray a lot on Sunday mornings. You'll learn as we go along together. But settle for nothing less in your spiritual journey than deep intimacy with God through Christ. And third, you commit to community. It's sprinkled throughout. It's assumed the entire time that this is plural. This is a communal event. We see in verse 10, they renewed their concern for Paul. Verse 14, they shared in his distress. Verse 7, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Your is plural. Christianity is instinctively plural. There are no lone rangers. It's always assumed we will do it together. God often will give joy, comfort, perspective, and healing, not through a burning bush or striking you with lightning on a mountain and you have this epiphany. God will also often reach you the most deeply and profoundly through other people in your life. And God will also often love them well through you. Which is why when you isolate from community, when you try to do this on your own, you not only rob the community of the love that you bring into it, but you also rob yourself. This has been one of the greatest casualties of the COVID pandemic season because we've all been forced to isolate in one way or another. And we need to be creative about the ways that we stay connected. So by being here on Sunday morning, by bringing friends into the life of the community, by joining in online, but then we have to find creative ways to not make this just content that is pumped out into the universe, but rather a conversation so we can build community together. We need to be creative about this, but we have to be committed to it. It means that you show up early and you help serve by setting up the coffee and donuts and welcoming people or helping to set up and tear down the video ministry. All of this not only serves the community, but then you make better friends as you do it. And so if you're not engaged in any way right now, 
with zero shred of guilt, manipulation, or shame, I wholeheartedly invite you to think of one way you're going to enter more and more into the life of this community. There's a whole lot of joy before you. We're just scratching the surface. We are just getting started. And the last note I'll make before we close is that part of the practice of joy always leads to generosity. Paul says, I'm so grateful that you renewed your concern for me. The reason he said that is because they sent a huge financial gift to take care of his needs while he was in prison. Joy always leads to generosity. The generous heart begins to say, look how God has poured out God's self to me. I pour myself out on behalf of others. So who around you might God be putting in your play, in, in your life that you could pour yourself out on their behalf? In a moment when we give the offering here, we do pour ourselves out financially, sacrificially, joyfully. We do it so that this church can pour ourselves out on behalf of our neighborhood with pastoral care toward people that might not even ever come through these doors, with physical care for people who are living on the streets, with pro providing housing and economic care to people who were living on the streets and now miraculously have housing because of this very church startup right here caring for our migrant neighbors seeking asylum in Tijuana, and orphans and widows in India, and those seeking medical care in South Sudan. All of that happens because we pour ourselves out here, and this church pours itself out on behalf of the world, and there's joy. I get chills just saying it, and we're just getting started. And the result is that you can rejoice in the Lord always that you would experience the Lord is near. That you would experience God guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus with a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is the invitation of Advent. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you would fill us, teach us, grow us, and guide us. Pour your spirit upon us and give us joy. And then send us out to be your agents of joy wherever we go. In your name, amen.